Please take your Bibles, if you uh, have them with you, and turn to Second Timothy, Paul's second letter to Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter three. Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, who is at the time pastoring a church in the city of Ephesus. And he has something to say to Timothy as the pastor and to the church as a whole. I'd like to read starting uh, toward the end of chapter 3, verse 16, and then I will read through verse 5. Of the next chapter. Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. With great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come. When people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. We'll be looking at that text a little more uh, in a few minutes. I'm going to ask the men to come as we worship the Lord through giving. Pray with me. Our Father... We humbly ask that you would help us to keep the first thing first. To keep our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, first in anything he says. Father, there's so much in this world that counters that. There are so many other things that are first in people's lives. And sometimes, Lord, we just grieve because of what that choice is doing to them and to those who care about them. Father, I ask that you would help us, those of us who know you, To humbly seek your direction in these next weeks. 
Guide us in your word. Help us to respond in a way that would please you. In Christ's name, amen. A few weeks ago, my wife, Janine, received what's called a health risk assessment from our insurance company. And we get this every year. You probably do, too. And basically asks a lot of questions about ourselves, our health, how things are going, you know, that type of thing. A few weeks ago, upon receiving this, Janine brought the assessment to me because she wanted me to notice questions two, three, and four. Question number two, what is your current gender identity? Choices, agender, cisgender male, cisgender female, gender queer, gender fluid, gender non-binary, transgender male to female, transgender female to male, and there's some more. Number three, what are your pronouns? He, him, his, she, her, hers, they, them, theirs, none. Number four, do you think of yourself as asexual, bisexual, gay, heterosexual, straight, lesbian, queer, questioning, other. And there are many others. Um, There's quite a vocabulary. It's a long list. Of course, LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, Non-conforming, gender fluid, non-binary, same-sex attraction, homosexual, gender affirming, non-affirming, assigned gender, gender identity, gender dysphoria, same-sex marriage, gender transitioning, gender neutral, sexual orientation, homophobia, transphobia, biological sex, on and on. Uh, You get tired reading that, that whole list. And, of course, um, as uh, question three there talked about, uh, pronouns have become very important, right? Maybe you already have had situations where you are asked that question. Uh, What pronouns do you prefer to be used in recognizing and speaking to you? Um, In 2019... The Merriam-Webster Dictionary declared the singular pronoun, singular pronoun, they, as its word of the year. 2019, word of the year, they. Minnesota Department of Health states this, quote, using a person's correct pronoun saves lives. I thought seatbelt saved lives. But our state says, This saves lives as well. National Institute of Health has determined that, quote, an intentional refusal to use someone's preferred pronouns is equivalent to harassment and a civil rights violation. And along with all of that that we're all familiar with, we hear, we read uh, about all of these things going on in our culture, there are teachers who are presenting messages about 
Uh, these views of sexuality, gender, identity, marriage, um, they're teaching online, they're teaching in person, they're teaching in churches because some are pastors. Um, let me give you an example. His name is Brandon Robertson. He's a pastor. Uh, he has pastored in New York City and in San Diego. Um, he has hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. His name is Brandon Robertson. He um, says he is an evangelical pastor. But he also says that he's a universalist. And as he says, he wants people to know they're all in. In other words, everyone is going to heaven. He is a practicing homosexual, but recently he has stated that perhaps he's bisexual and has attractions to both male and female. Pastor Robertson also says that he rejects the first three chapters of Genesis as literal or historical. Um, he believes that Adam and Eve were not historical figures, did not really exist, that they are part of the poetry of the first chapters of the book of Genesis. He says science has explained origins to us, not Genesis. Now, I share those things that he says to help you understand some of his message and what he teaches. In one of his messages on the Internet called Queers in the Bible, he suggests that Naomi and Ruth were lesbians. After their husbands died, the Bible says they kind of came together and it says they loved each other. And so he wonders if maybe they were lesbians. Of course, he wonders if David and Jonathan um, were bisexual. Uh, they had wives, but the Bible says they really loved each other. He says the Ethiopian eunuch from Acts 8 probably was a homosexual, and yet God was willing to save him through the ministry of Philip. He suggests that the Roman centurion in the Gospels that came to Jesus to uh, ask for help to heal his servant only did that because he had a love relationship with his servant. And that's why people would say, my, how he loves his servant, that he would go to this Jewish teacher to ask for the healing of his servant. Robertson suggests that the disciple John perhaps had same-sex sex attraction because Scripture says more than once that he would lay at the breast of Jesus. And then he even says, I wonder why Jesus never married, why he would choose 12 men to travel with him and live with him. 
in another message that Robertson presents on the Internet, he does a teaching from John chapter 11. And you may know John chapter 11 as uh, the record of the resurrection of Lazarus, right? And uh, in his teaching on this text, he says that when Jesus said to Lazarus outside the grave, Lazarus, come out. That he was actually saying to Lazarus, come out of what binded you. Come out of the shame and the guilt and the rejection and the prejudice that has bound you for these years. Come out and be who you really are. And of course, the Bible says that Jesus really loved Lazarus. So what's going on? What's going on? As I've thought about it, a number of words come to my mind. Uh, the first one is confusion. Um, there are people who are confused. Maybe we're even confused at, as to what's going on. But there are people confused about identity, who they are, what they are. There are people confused about their desires. Um, there's just confusion around us. Um, I think you'd have to put the word uh, deception in there, the, that there are people who are being deceived. Uh, maybe the word ignorance, just not knowing, just not knowing maybe what Scripture says, maybe just I ignorant of the whole subject of sexuality and identity and gender. Or on the other side, maybe there is some rebellion in certain circles, knowing what's right, knowing what the Bible teaches, and yet choosing to rebel against it. And go the other direction. In some cases, I'm sure there's what you would call personal autonomy. I mean, people have always wanted to be in control of their own lives, right? You know, our society says, be all that you can be. You can be whatever you want to be. And that's something that really rings a pleasing bell in the minds of a lot of people who want to be personally autonomous. I want to be in control of my life. I want to make my decisions. I want to be who I want to be. Maybe that's in there. There's ungodliness. Um, and, and by the word ungodliness, at this point, what I'm just saying is, you know, the prefix un means no, not there. And, and obviously, in a lot of lives, God's not there. He's not recognized. He's not acknowledged. And, and so in that sense, there's a lot of ungodliness. There, there's a lot going on that leaves God out, that wants nothing to do with God. And thus, wherever that would lead you. And I think we would have to include in there, I think I would, that there's a spiritual conflict going on, like there's always been. There are spiritual forces of darkness, like the Bible says, going on that are at work in anything that goes on in this world. 
and we could go on. But I think one of the things that's happening that really uh, disturbs us and confuses us is this idea that what I would call unholy sexuality has become normalized through many avenues and in many ways. And uh, it's not new. Uh, perhaps becoming more rampant, more public. Um, but the normalizing of unholy sexuality. Pastor Robertson does say that he thinks there was a certain point in our history where this ramping up started. And I'll share that with you next week. But I think even we as Christians find ourselves sometimes in that confused territory. What do we do? What are we supposed to think? Uh, How are we supposed to respond to all of this? Um, Maybe you can relate to this. I can on other subjects, uh, but even on this. Uh, Someone has said when you're constantly hit over the head with the same message, You just drown in it. And after a while, you don't know what the truth is. The message takes over your reality. And you begin to think, maybe it's true. Maybe I'm the one that's wrong. Maybe I should check into it. Or even embrace it. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, or you can identify with that uh, thought in this subject of sexuality and gender and identity, um, I, I can relate to it in other situations. I remember a time years ago where there were things being said about me in many circles that I knew weren't true. And you know, as it went on month after month after month, I remember going for a walk with Janine and saying, Janine, am I wrong? Could it be that what's being said is true and I'm just not seeing it and thankfully she had my back and she said no it's not true but maybe you can relate to that if something is said over and over from all directions the same message and to start with you know it's not true it can't be right and yet because it's constantly being drummed into you you constantly hear it and see it You find yourself thinking, are they right? Am I the one that's wrong here? Am I blind? Should I check it out? I don't know if you can relate to that. But I think it's happening. It's a part of the confusion in our culture and even in the churches. So, turn back with me to 2 Timothy Chapter 3. Did you have a good time thinking about what the message might be for you and for our church? 2 Timothy chapter 3. By the way, this is just simply an introduction uh, to this series. The series is called Male and Female, What is Written? And today I just want us to get started in it. Some things we need to think about before we actually get into... uh, the series starting next week. But let me, let me just take you back through 
let's pretend the offering is being passed and we're doing what I uh, requested you to do. Uh, verse 16. Uh, Paul says to this pastor, Timothy, and I think probably to the whole church then, all scripture is God breathed. He makes a statement about scripture. And he says, it's all. Important little word. It's all God breathes. What does that mean? It's all inspired by God. Some Bibles say that. It simply means it's God's word. It's from him. And Paul just makes that big statement to Timothy. Hey, Timothy. All scripture. Is God's word. And it's useful. It's useful. It's useful for things like teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training people how to live right. It's God's word, all of it, and it's useful. Use it for teaching. You can use it for rebuking. You can use it for correcting. You can use it to train people to live right. So that the servants of God can be equipped for every good work to live that right life. And once he makes that clear to Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, he says in chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. What word? All scripture that is God's word and is useful. Preach it, Brother Timothy. Preach it. Be prepared in season and out of season to do that. And when you pre preach the word, do it to correct, do it to rebuke, do it to encourage. Preach the word with great patience and careful instruction. Careful instruction and patience. But preach it because it's all God's word. And it's important. And then he says in verse 3, he says, for the time will come. There's time coming. And dare I say, it has come. He says, there's a time coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. He says, Timothy, there's going to be a time when people will not like to hear sound teaching. But instead, to suit their own desires, what they want to hear. They will gather around them a great number of teachers. They're going to find teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. What's comfortable to them. What they agree with. Paul says, Timothy... There's going to be a time when people don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear God's inspired word. They want to hear things that match their own desires, 
make them feel good, make them feel comfortable. And they're going to find teachers. And of course, Paul never knew at that point how easy it was going to become to find those teachers, right? This is the click of a button. But he said they'll look for teachers to gather around them and teach them things they want to hear. Things that make them feel good and not uncomfortable. Verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The Greek word there means comforting tales. Tales that are comfortable, that make them feel good. And then verse 5. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, because there's going to be hardship if you preach the word. And do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. You have a ministry. It's preaching the word. The scriptures that are God's word. And it's not going to be easy because people might not want to hear it. But preach it, brother. Preach it with patience. And carefully, he says. So that's what we're going to do in the next uh, five weeks. If you choose to come back. Um, I, I want to tell you up front that this, as I've been working on this, this series of messages is really primarily um, put together for the followers of Christ, okay? Um, It's for people who have some kind of respect for the Word of God, who believe to some degree that the Word of God is important, that they want to know what it says. And so, in this series, we're going to try and see what it says, about these subjects of sexuality, gender, identity, marriage. And hopefully we can get some direction as maybe confused Christians. Um, get some guidance from where we should get the guidance. And um, hopefully it will be helpful to us. We're not only going to look at Scripture as far as what it says about the subject of sexuality, gender, identity, marriage. But we're also going to look at Scripture and what it says about how we should respond to that, what's going around. I want you to listen to something as I read. And I want you to uh, listen closely for the thread of thought in these quotes. These are quotes from four different teachers. Uh, Some of them are involved in uh, 
the homosexual lifestyle. Others aren't, but they are what would be called affirming. They affirm that lifestyle. I just want you to hear some of their quotes that they're teaching, that they're giving out as messages. I want you to listen for a thread of thought that is flowing through all of them. I don't think it will be hard for you to, to catch it. Here we go. First quote. Only six or seven of the Bible's one million verses refer to same-sex behavior in any way. And none of these verses refer to homosexual orientation as it's understood today. The Bible is the story of God's love for the world and the people of the world. It was never intended to be a book about human sexuality. Often the Holy Spirit uses science to teach us why those ancient words in Scripture no longer apply to our modern times. New information we have about sexual orientation actually requires us to reinterpret Scripture. The authors of the Bible are authorities in matters of faith. They can be trusted when they talk about God, but they should not be considered the final authorities on sexual orientation. There are lots of things in the Bible that we no longer do because our faith has evolved. Just simply to say that Homosexuality goes against the scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. Was there a thread of thought going through all of those quotes, those messages? What was the thread? What subject did it have to do with? The scripture. Did you notice that? Every one of those quotes said something about Scripture. And actually what all of them are leading to is what I would call the elimination of biblical standard. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. The Bible is not an authority on what's happening today. In fact, the Bible maybe should be reinterpreted and understood a different way because of what we know today and what we experience today. They're all making statements about what Paul called the Word of God. And there is this tendency to try and eliminate the Bible as the standard. And really on any subject, but specifically on this subject of sexuality, gender, identity, even marriage. Because they're all tied together. That's going on, and that's not hard to, to see, right? Trying to eliminate the Bible as a standard. So what we're going to do in this series, you'll notice the, the subtitle of the series, What is Written. That's really the focus of the series. We're, we're going to talk about sexuality. We're going to talk about gender. We're going to talk about marriage, identity. But really, the main focus in this series is the question, what is written?
And it's the right question, I think. (laughs) I mean, I think for those of us who follow Christ and make claims about our view of the Bible, that should be our question about anything, shouldn't it? No matter what the subject is, what is written? What does God have to say about it? And so that's the question we're going to ask. And it's an important question throughout Scripture. Um, You've got some scriptures there on your sheet. You, You can look at them if you'd like. Many of them, and in most cases Jesus, finds Jesus in some situation saying these words to people. It is written. And then he would remind them of what is written in the scriptures. Or there are times you'll read, if you go through these um, texts, where Jesus would say in a conversation, what is written? He would actually ask the question to somebody, what is written? Or he would say, have you not read? Referring to the scriptures. And even Paul in Romans 4, verse 3 As he's dealing with the presentation of the gospel, he says to the Romans, what is written? And he reminds them of what is written. That's the right question, friends. For those of us who think the scripture matters. And that it's God's word. It's the right question. What is written? On any subject and in this case, on the subject of this series. We know that the psalmist uh, wrote this lengthy uh, collection of his views of God's Word that he had at that time. Psalm 119. Really long. But it's all about the psalmist's view of God's Word. And, And he said, it's my guide. It's a lamp. It's a light in my life. It guides me. He makes the statement that what it says is right about everything. (laughs) That's a big statement. The psalmist believed that, that God's word that he had at that time was right about everything. And he also said that it's always right and will always be right. You know, not evolving, changing, you know, that type of thing. And then he has an interesting statement in Psalm 119.51, if you would look at that. Psalm 119.51. And I think we can relate to this as we move into this series. Psalm 119.51. He says this. The arrogant mock me unmercifully. But I do not turn from your law. You ever been mocked for holding to what God's Word says? Ever been mocked? Ever been made fun of? Ever had things said about you because you stood for what the Scripture said? 
Sometimes it's unmerciful. It, it hurts to be called names. It hurts to have things said about you. But look what the psalmist said. The arrogant mock me unmercifully, but I do not turn from your law, from your word. So here's where we're going to begin. And I'll draw this introduction to a close. Our focus is going to be on that question, the subtitle of the series, What is Written? So we're going to ask what is written. We're not going to ask anything about our feelings, our desires. We're not going to ask questions about what we're reading, what we're seeing online. We're not going to ask questions about what our friends are saying. We're not going to ask questions about our experiences or other people's experiences. We're going to ask the question, what is written in God's Word? So it's a very narrow focus in this series. I have two questions for you to consider this week as we go into the series. Question number one. Is God on the throne? Do you believe that God is the sovereign creator? Sovereign above all. Creator. Do you believe as the sovereign creator, God is on the throne? The authority, the final authority, no matter what, in your life. I want you to think about that and to honestly ask yourself if that's what you believe. Is God on the throne? You know, sometimes the mocking or the accusations uh, use the word homophobic, right? Sometimes it's transphobic. I encourage you to develop this fear, theophobic. I encourage you to be theophobic. What's that? Theos, God. We need to fear God. And what he says. So, kind of wrestle with that question personally. Is God on the throne in my life? Final authority, sovereign creator, no matter what. Second question. Is God's word the settled truth? To be settled means it's firmly fixed and unchanging. And so that's the second question I want to just wrestle with personally. Is God's word the settled truth? Do you believe that? Is it the final authority on any subject, no matter what, in your life? And you can't believe one of these things and not the other. They go together. If God is on the throne, then whatever he says must be settled truth. 
if everything he says is settled truth, then you must be saying he's on the throne. They have to go together. So wrestle with those two personally this week as you prepare to hear the rest of this series. Last night we heard uh, Kirk Cousins talk about his relationship with Christ, and it was a wonderful testimony. But he said something in there that I missed the first time I watched it. But I heard it last night, and it got my attention. He said that the, there are those who do what feels right, and there are those who do what is right. In the subjects we're going to be talking about, there are a lot of feelings. There are a lot of desires. There are a lot of experiences. There are people who do what feels right. And then there are people who do what is right. And where do we find out what's right so we can do what is right? In the word of the righteous God, who is right about everything. If we live doing what feels right, who's in control? I'm autonomous. It's my feelings, it's my desires, it's my preferences, it's my comfort. It's the way I see things that's in control. If we are people who do what is right, then we're going to have to find out what is right. And the best place is in the word of the righteous God. And so we're going to ask that question, God, what is right? What do you say? What is written in your word about these particular subjects that sometimes confuse us and make us uncomfortable? So, um, you do have an assignment besides those two uh, questions to so think about them. Uh, at the bottom, you have some scriptures, and that'll get us started. Uh, these are scriptures that uh, uh, begin to speak to the subjects we're going to talk about. And I just want you to, to go into them and, and read them, become exposed to them. We'll go back to them at different times during the series. Uh, it's kind of interesting that uh, uh, Pastor Robertson that I talked about earlier and others uh, in his camp call these scriptures that are on your sheet, clobber scriptures. They believe they are the scriptures that Christians use to clobber them. So um, get familiar with them and we'll talk more about them um, as we go. But may God teach us what is written about these subjects of sexuality, gender, and identity but also may he teach us what is written about how we should respond. Um, it's possible when we see what is written about these subjects that there will be some discomfort. But you know what? When we look at what is written about how we as Christians should respond, there's going to be some discomfort. Because we may find out that Scripture says we should respond in ways that we would prefer not to respond. We have a better idea how to respond. And because we go that way, 
those in this lifestyle that we'll be talking about call us people who clobber. So what is written about the subjects, but what is written about our response? That's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Father, most of us here, I'm guessing most of us, believe your word is important. It matters what you say. And Father, I pray that as we look at your word and we ask the question, what is written? That you would instruct us, rebuke us if necessary, correct us, lead us in the right way, um, guide us, help us to navigate this whole subject and what's going on around us, and help us to respond as Jesus would respond. Respond in the way that you ask us to respond. Father, we enter this series humbly. In Jesus' name, amen.